Welcome to the Surviving Opioids Beyond an Epidemic podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Simone. On this show, we talk opioids, addiction, and recovery. It's for anyone who wants to know that although we've lost a lot of good people this past decade, we also do recover. It's a show for people who feel trapped, like they're never going to get off the opioid merry-go-round, and it's for people who have stopped but feel like they'll never start feeling better again. Well, I'm here to tell you that it can get better, and it will. You're going to get some incredible perspectives from folks who have been impacted by the crisis, and you'll get some topic episodes where I try to pack a ton of value into answering your questions. If you like what you hear and you want more, subscribe to the show, give it a rating, leave a review. It's all good stuff, and it's what keeps this train rolling. All right, guys, enjoy the episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another short topic-focused episode on the Surviving Opioids podcast. I told you I'll be dropping these shorter ones every once in a while in addition to the interview series. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about the amino acid DLPA, DL-phenylalanine, and the role that it might play in opioid recovery. I managed this podcast on Buzzsprout, and I got a prompt that I have 32 minutes remaining in this monthly cycle, uh, which updates in 10 days, but I figured, you know, like this might be a good time for another shorter one. We'll see how it goes. Moving forward, I'm going to try to keep each interview episode less than an hour, including the intro. So I'll just have to get a little bit better at managing the interview lengths, uh, but we'll get there. I appreciate everybody who, who downloads these and the 39 of you that have left reviews. That stuff means a lot. I get messages on my Instagram and, you know, people thanking me for you know, talking about a topic or having a conversation with them about a particular situation. And they'll say like, how can I thank you? This is how, you know, leaving a review, writing a comment. That's how to show support. Um, And that's how I know people enjoy something. You know, if you listen to these and like it, but I never hear from you, um, I have no idea that you exist. You know, you're like a phantom listener. So if you like the content, if you want more of something specific, you got to tell me. You're not bothering me. I, I got into the social media space to be social. Okay, so if little things come up and you want to want you know you want somebody to run something by or act as a quick sounding board. Um, I'm there. You know. Now I can't give specific clinical recommendations over DM. I would I would say obviously here, but I do get a lot of people asking me specific questions like that. You know, the folks who work with me one on one know that I gather a lot of information first um, as much as I can you know to offer really specific individualized guidance and then we're tweaking and adjusting things as we go like no regimen of any kind should just be continued indefinitely it should it should constantly be getting audited and reevaluated so it's not usually as simple as you should do this or you should not do that but you guys know I like a good dietary supplement the the right product at the right time and the right place, it can, it can be very helpful. Uh, now, I'll have people say to me once in a while, you know, I don't know about supplements. There's a lot of bad information out there. And you would be right. There is a lot of bad information out there. There's also a lot of bad information out there regarding pharmaceuticals that could help with addiction recovery, therapies that could work, talk strategies, holistic treatment approaches, everything. Anything to do with addiction recovery, any avenue of care, I will show you some bad information that's right next to the good stuff out there. 
So my point is that because there's bad information does not mean that we discredit an entire weapon in our arsenal. We don't, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I'll say this a lot. Recovery is complex. And overall, by any available success metrics, we're not doing very, very well. So like, let's say that the right supplement regimen out, like right out of the gate can make you feel 10% better. Okay. Like are, are we in any position to scoff at 10%? Like that 10% could be the difference between a post-acute phase that is intolerable and eventually relapses back to use, or a phase that's not wonderful, but it's tolerable enough to hold out hope that things might eventually get better. So it does matter. I've detoxed from opiates dozens of times myself, but I've counted five times specifically that I actually made it through. And by made it through, I mean got through at least 30 days, so through the acute withdrawal. But only this last time when I was on a pretty aggressive supplement regimen, right from the jump, did I feel well enough to keep going. I talked in the last episode about ego fatigue. Anybody can make it through a withdrawal. Really, you know, it's true. You know, put them in a safe, confined setting. Anybody can sweat and shake their way through a few weeks of that. It's usually not pretty and it's awful every time and it's painful and it sucks. But most of us do get there one way or another. But if we're in endless pain and we're willpowering our way through this abstinence period for too long, that willpower has a neurological tendency to wear away, to start fizzling out. And if we're still in horrible discomfort when that happens, the likelihood of relapsing back onto the drug or the behavior is high. So if a supplement can help, I say try it. Uh, the majority of people that I talk to are actually pretty open to them, but you know, once in a while, I'll get somebody, you know, they were just an IV heroin user for the past seven years, but now all of a sudden, they don't feel comfortable about taking a vitamin supplement every day, you know. And I'm not poking fun at this person. I, I had that all or nothing thinking going on for a while too, you know, but it's just an ironic situation, you know. I mean, this stuff can absolutely help, uh, even though the, you know, the docs and the pharmacists and the nurses have, have mostly been taught in school to just push the pills, the the pharmaceutical medications, and shy away from the supplements because it's easier. It's easier to to just do that. So one that I've had a lot of success with with clients and also myself is the amino acid, the essential amino acid, DLPA, DL-phenylalanine. Now it's actually a combination of two amino acids, D-phenylalanine and L-phenylalanine. They're also sold separately. Um, so they're sold separately as those two or or sold together as DLPA. But that dual form DLPA, you know, versus either D or L by itself, you know, it's usually the ideal if there aren't any contraindications because because they work synergistically with each other. I'll I'll, I'll mention a consideration later that you may want um where you may want one over the other. Uh but usually if you have the choice, you know, DLPA is is my preference. It's one of the major components, one of the major amino acids needed to make the endorphins and the encephalins, okay, which are the body's natural pain relievers, which it turns out modify a lot more than just pain, by the way. They're involved with feelings of love and attachment and connection, all areas that opioid-addicted people tend to report problems with, uh, um, uh, and that's before becoming addicted, you know. I have at least at least one or two IGTV episodes recorded about that topic if you want to, you know, if you want to go check it out. What happens with the opioids is that if a person reports problems, like 
in the areas of, of love and attachment and, and, and connection, if there are these like attachment wounds that have, that have taken place, uh, you know, these, these adverse childhood experiences that may have led to that, which for the sake of argument, I usually refer to as an endorphin deficiency. Uh, like, although there isn't a, a good way to have measured what the endorphin levels were like before. Okay. So I'm kind of using that phrase endorphin deficiency loosely here, but when this person takes an opiate, uh, this endorphin deficient person, if you will, the drug is going to instantly make that deficiency go away. And that intense dis- discomfort, just that generalized feeling of not being able to connect with people or to feel whole, it gets filled in. And for that moment in time, everything just feels right. You know, Jen and I were talking about this in episode two, where like for a while, we like, we just kind of assume that everybody gets that response from it, you know. So some of some people get sober, and then they kind of, you know, they become evangelists to you know, ban all opiates and stop, all, you know, because this is the stuff that's addictive, and it's. Uh, but it turns out that most people do not have that reaction, and that's the trauma piece of addiction. By the way, that's the piece that no pharmaceutical or vitamin or herbal adaptogen or nutritional strategy or fourth step is going to fix. Uh, but yeah, so like when we talk, like when we, when we take uh, the opiate for this brief moment in time, all is right with the world. So that's good, right? You know, the endorphin problem is fixed. We continue to take our opiates. Tolerance builds up. That's fine. We just take more opiates until one day you're forced to stop for whatever reason, you know, the world intervenes upon you somehow. Um, the world has a way of doing that when you're addicted to opiates. You know, I think, I think the, the clinical phrase for that is going to be shit happens, right? So, so if you're addicted to opiates, clinically, you can expect that shit will eventually happen to you. But at this point, if you successfully detox, not only are you back to dealing with the original deficiency, now you have to contend with the problem of down regulation that was brought about by those, you know, seven years of daily opiate dependency. All right. Like now this becomes the, the arena that's incredibly difficult to treat. It's unbelievably uncomfortable. And depending on what you were taking, how much, for how long, it could last a very long time. It's part of the reason so many people are started on opiate replacement therapies or, or MAT protocols because... Ripping away the opiates and, and dealing with the down-regulated endorphin system coupled with, with this underlying trauma that has not been addressed, it's just too intolerable for most people. And, and, and you know, certainly DLPA is not a competing strategy to MAT. You know, in, in no way is that the case. What it is is an effective tool for folks ending a dependency without MAT all right, or those who are on some type of replacement treatment, methadone or buprenorphine, for example, and are now tapering off of that. I have people that I work with who are down off hundreds of milligrams of methadone. Um, I have one person right now that's on about 20 milligrams, you know, coming down two milligrams per week, and she's on a regimen to help ease that transition off. So DLPA is an amino acid, you know, which are the building blocks of proteins. It's you know, it's found in meat, eggs, fish, stuff like that. But in supplement form, we're extracting that component and administering it in, in this concentrated capsule form. And since we're dosing it on an empty stomach, the product isn't competing with other amino acids for absorption. 
like would be the case if we ate a steak, for example. Uh, you know, the other amino acids would compete for trans for for those transporters out of the gut into the bloodstream. So, like we usually dose DLPA, you know, one hour before or or two hours after a protein rich meal, uh, which you know they will usually just say separated from all food. That you know that tends to be a little bit easier of a recommendation. So. You know, DLPA got big right around the year, the year 2000. Um, I should have mentioned that that earlier. It, it was it was known before, uh, you know, before that. But the 2000 was the first major article that showed how it potentiated pain relief and eased depression in patients receiving chronic opioid treatment. Now, the point of the of the article it had nothing to do with addictions. Um, it was looking at how we could decrease the overall amount of opiates needed with something else that. Um, boosted endorphins, but it was that study that set off this holistic approach to opioid detox that, you know, people like me talk about now. And here's the conclusion of this article. Rather rather than summarize it, I'm just going to read it because um, uh, I have it right here in front of me. So here are the author's exact words talking about the use of DLPA to, to, uh, to provide pain-relieving analgesic effects. They say, An analysis of this phenomenon suggests that it may be mediated, at least in part, by upregulation of the endogenous analgesia system, EAS. When stimulated by chronic pain or therapeutic measures such as opiates or acupuncture, the EAS suppresses activation of second-order pain receptive neurons in the dorsal horn and thereby alleviates pain. Since enkephalins are key neurotransmitters in the EAS, it is reasonable to predict that measures which promote enkephalin activity, such as, DL, such as D-phenylalanine, an enkephalinase inhibitor, should potentiate EAS-mediated analgesia, a view consistent with much previous medical research. Comprehensive support of the EAS with well-tolerated nutrients and pharmaceuticals may amplify the analgesic efficacy of chronic opiate therapy while enabling dosage reductions that minimize opiate side effects. So that was the conclusion of that study. And when you hear about antidepressant-type properties with DLPA, it's the endorphin-boosting effects that are causing that response. Um, It can also indirectly elevate norepinephrine, which is implicated in the low-energy symptoms of some depression. So there are some studies that show that this has benefit even uh, even when the serotonin-modulating pharmaceuticals don't. And that wouldn't be too surprising, you know, given that those products wouldn't have anything to do with each other. For example, if somebody had tried a course of an SSRI, didn't experience relief from it, that would tell us nothing about whether or not DLPA might have an impact. Like when you add the pain-relieving properties of DLPA to the energizing properties, the effect produced could be to lessen some symptoms of depression, and, I, and I've seen it have that effect with, with people. It also helps to offset withdrawal symptoms in somebody quitting quitting caffeine. Um, oh, that's another thing. If I'm working with somebody who drinks a lot of caffeine and refuses to stop, I might go with just the D-phenylalanine, not the DL-phenylalanine, uh, because it tends to be less activating. So like, we'll still get the pain-relieving effects, the, the endorphin effects, but less of the stimulating properties. Um, that's that's also why it's not recommended with with uncontrolled hypertension, uh, uh, the uncontrolled high blood pressure, anything at all, over the counter or otherwise. Uh, you know, pseudoephedrine, phenylephrine, these oral decongestants, anything that has any type of stimulating properties, we're not going to recommend if somebody has uncontrolled hypertension. 
And again, it, it is that word uncontrolled in here. All right, so like if you had a high blood pressure reading two years ago at the doctor's and you made some lifestyle changes, your numbers are reading fine right now, this is not a contraindication for you. In terms of direct pharmaceutical contraindications, we don't recommend DLPA to somebody who's taking a neuroleptic drug for seizures, for example. Okay, so like Tegretol, Dilantin, Depakote. One of the serious side effects with 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 you know some of those like neuroleptics that I just named is something known as tardive dyskinesia, uh, and and some of the amino acids could actually, and some other you know food products could actually worsen that. So like. That will be an outright contraindication. As far as antidepressants, you know, full contra full contraindication with the MAOIs, okay, which are the the monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Um, you know, you might have never even heard of them. Not a lot of people take those those products anymore. They're like fifth line now for for depression. Um, some people might still, you know, you know, full contraindication with the TCAs, which are the tricyclic antidepressants, also not not used quite as often. With the SSRIs, um, most practitioners wouldn't recommend these two together. Um, you know, mostly because it, it's just a lot easier to make the blanket statement not to do it. You know, um, I used to say that on the pharmacy bench with with patients who were on psychotropic medications all the time. You know, because I would see how difficult it was to get these folks stabilized. Sometimes that it was just way easier to make a sweeping recommendation of don't use it ever. Uh, now, now today I can rely a little bit more on clinical intuition. I'll recommend low dose DLPA sometimes if the situation makes sense. My first year coming off of opiates, um, I was on I was on Lexapro for the first for the first six months, uh, and I overlapped. I did overlap those two. You know, it's not like anything horrible is going to happen. It's just that most prescribers who are regulating the, the SSRI medication are having enough trouble finding the right drug and the right dose. So we're usually not combining anything else that could even potentially complicate that. Even if it's just psychological, uh, we we just avoid it altogether. But any type of amino acid or really dietary supplement in general, um, you know, especially for somebody with history of mental health disorders who, whose emotions might tend to be a little bit more like labile to begin with, should be done with some sort of overarching supervision. You know, somebody who can recognize if, um, if something's helpful, unhelpful, needs to be increased, decreased, discontinued. Everything should be very individualized. And there's no such thing as, as one supplement or intervention strategy that's appropriate for everybody. Uh, you know, the dose here is going to be in that 500, you know, to 1,000 milligram range once or twice per day. Um, last dose no later than 3 p.m. The rule is to start low and go slow. You know, that's, that's really, really like my motto with any dietary supplement intervention. What am I doing here with time? Okay, looks like I gotta wrap it up. Uh, Ralph Buzzsprout's gonna is gonna cut me off here. So, all right. Well, I think that that's a pretty good summary of DLPA. You know, DL phenylalanine. It can be uh, a good consideration for folks who are in that protracted opioid withdrawal phase. That you know, this I've seen this help a lot of people. Um, I didn't mention any brands by name. There are a few I like. You know, some of 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 my preferred brands and I change this from time to time but I have them linked in an Amazon list on my um, on my IG bio so alright well hope that this was helpful leave some feedback alright talk to you guys soon <laughs>